Here to score it for us is the master of disaster public relations specialist, Mike Paul. Mike Paul, known as the reputation doctor. Well, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. Mike Paul is a crisis PR and reputation management expert. He's all about reputation. Got some tips on rebuilding those reputations. You first have to be transparent and then be accountable for your actions. He's got to get on the truth train right now. There's no ifs or buts in a true apology. You must speak directly to the issues that you've been involved with. You're going to have to have an across-the-board solution that is more than words, and you've got to have actions. Well, our guest today is Spencer Jacob. He is the editor of Heard on the Street column at the Wall Street Journal. He is also the author of a great new book called The Revolution That Wasn't, GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors. Welcome, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Why don't we start with just a quick summation in your own words of what the premises of the book or a conclusion overall, a, a, a summation of what is the important parts of this book that people need to buy it today? Well, in what part the book tells an amazing story. It's a stranger than fiction story, which started probably back in 2019. The time when we all heard about it was over the course of one week in early 2021, when a bunch of, of people online on um, a, a Reddit, a subreddit dedicated to small investors took on big hedge funds and blew multi-billion dollar holes in them. It was, I, I've been writing about or working in financial markets for three decades, and I, I knew right away that I had to write about it. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. But more importantly, the book doesn't, doesn't just tell the story, it tells what the significance is. And a lot of people portrayed it at the time as a revolution, as a moment that would change Wall Street forever, the tables had turned. And once the dust had cleared, it was you know, obvious to me that that wasn't the case at all. It was the same old story in one sense, that the little guy always gets the short end of the stick with Wall Street. You know, fear and greed always get the better of people. And at the same time, it wasn't the same old story because some new technologies, specifically the algorithmically, algorithmically driven social media and these addictive, alluring, frictionless apps that young people especially use to trade these days, had changed things a lot and, and not to help them, by the way. You would think that they would, but they have done the opposite. And that gives a unique flavor, a unique twist to this. And so I explain how those work. And they work in some, not always in, intentionally to their detriment, but definitely to the detriment of small investors. If we had to summarize your book, Spencer, in just a few sentences, what is it in layman's terms that happened with these young investors who utilize Robinhood, which is an app that has everything that a Wall Street trader has right in their hand, and what happened temporarily to the market based on their actions. The market went crazy. Shares of GameStop, which was a really obscure small company at the beginning of the story, became the most traded security on the planet for days on end. And it became wow. the most talked about thing for days on end. And what happened was they thought that they were sticking it to the man. They thought that they were going to make a fortune, stick it to the man, give Wall Street a black eye or even much worse than that. And they kind of still think that they did that and that they, they didn't. Obviously, there are individual people who say, well, I made a lot of money. In any 
thing like this, there'll be people who got out of it ahead of the game or still have a large balance. But as, as a group, they pour tens of billions of dollars of their not very large savings into the pockets of Wall Street and into the pockets of corporate executives, by the way, who just happened to be in the right place at the right time, some of whom were pretty cynical. So it, it wasn't a revolution in either sense. It was not a revolution. So what happened short term that people thought turned out to be something very different in the long term? Well, what happened uh, was that Wall Street or the hedge funds left them an opening. And the, the story really begins in, in 2019. You know, you had Robinhood, which got its start in 2015. That's when the, the app was was set up. It got its start a couple of years earlier than that. And you had a couple of guys who were very, very clever guys who made a beautiful app, one app of the Apple's app of the year that year. Uh, and really, that that's like the kind of Anything that you use, anything you hold in your hand that's a smartphone app, you want to make it as easy, as intuitive, as frictionless as possible. And right. when I look at, at Robinhood, it's more like it's an app with a brokerage attached, not a, a brokerage that has an app. And that that's the difference, is that they started out with the app, and they started out with the idea of making trading free. They weren't the first people to do it, but they figured that that would have a lot of allure. And over a period of about five years, one out of every two brokerage accounts opened in the U.S. was opened with them. And finally, in late 2019, all the big boys threw in the towel, Schwab and Fidelity, and they all cut their commissions to zero also because they said, we can't, can't compete with these guys. And they thought it would be terrible for their business. And the, the exact opposite happened. And what they didn't understand was a sort of new thinking in economics, which is if you take the, the price of something that's enjoyable, and you, even if it just costs a little bit and you take that little bit and you cut it to zero, then people are going to use a lot of it. It's like, you know, music streaming and, and stuff like that. Isn't that just an example also of the difference in thinking between generations and age? Because economically, these are smart people that understand finance. They should have been able to see that. Are they just uncomfortable with a paradigm shift? What what? What's going on there? I, I think that if, if they had understood it, they would have done it sooner, right? I mean, but they didn't understand. And if you look at what they said, and you look at what analysts who cover the brokerage firms like said, they were like, well, this is going to hit. The thing is, though, that the difference between Schwab and Robinhood is that a Schwab customer might have a median account balance of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. A Robinhood account has a median account balance of $241. It's a totally different customer. Somebody who has a hundred thousand or a million, you can sell them all kinds of services. They're, you know, they're good to have around. Even if you give them trading for free, right? You know, you can you can afford to give it away, even if it's it's costing you money because they're going to do all kinds of other stuff. Robinhood customer, it's all about the trading, and so their business was set up, and and the way that it works, it's set up to encourage you to trade as much as possible. The more you trade, the more they make. You think like, well, how, this is the old joke about like the person who sells things below wholesale, how does he make money? He sells a lot of them. You know, that's, that's right. in, in Robinhood's case, they're not really giving it to you for free because they're selling your trades to market makers that pay them to execute them. It's a whole, it's, it's, it's not really insidious, but that it's become very controversial. It's something that no one spoke about before this whole episode. And now everyone in Washington is talking about this practice called payment for order flow. But that's what makes Robinhood's business possible. And so when they did this, there started to be an explosion in trading. This is late 2019. Then what happened? 
then we had a pandemic. Then we had millions of, of not just young people, but especially young people having nothing to do. The youth unemployment rate, the unemployment rate for people between the ages of 18 and 35 was double the unemployment rate for people who are, are my age, a more seasoned age, you know, and a lot of their jobs were things that you you do in person. So that's understandable. So a lot of them, they moved back. They, if they weren't already living with mom and dad, they moved back to mom and dad. The money they were spending going out on Friday night, all of a sudden they couldn't spend. They got stimulus checks. Some of them got extended unemployment benefits. So they had a, a bit of cash. Another thing that had happened is that in 2018, sports gambling was legalized in many states because it was a right. court decision. And you had an explosion in mainly in young men who were doing daily fantasy sports and then betting on, on sports. And it became, you, know, you can't turn on a sporting event today without half at least of the commercials being for sports gambling. And so that got people, you know, kind of in, in this speculative mindset. But all of a sudden what happened when the, the pandemic broke out is that sports went away. You had Korean baseball. That was like all you had on TV, right? right. I, I, I kind of was getting into it for a few weeks there, Korean baseball. And, <laughs> Good and, point. And, and so, and March Madness went away. And so you had these people who kind of had gotten bitten by the speculative bug, had extra money, were at home, and you, you had a, an explosion in retail trading and young people getting to the stock market. And now they were getting in at what was the most volatile time really ever in the stock market because you had the biggest descent in history from an all-time high into a bear market in the stock market when the pandemic hit. And then you had by far the biggest recovery in history. And, and especially things like you know, cruise lines and airlines and rental car firms, all kinds of things that the smart people were shying away from. They're like, I don't, I'm not gonna buy a cruise line. Who knows how long this pandemic is gonna last? Nobody's gonna go on a cruise if it's, you know, if it's like a deadly to go on a cruise. And these right. young people were right in the short term. And the older people like Warren Buffett were wrong in the short term. Uh, I mean, they were, you know, cautious. They were How were they right? The right reasons, but they were wrong. And so you had these young people who felt like they were geniuses and they were addicted to the stock market volatility. And that, that group of people uh, went online to get advice and they got very, very active. And that was one of the main things that set the stage for this. And the other thing was that this generation doesn't like Wall Street. They don't like, it's not that they don't like rich people because they like Elon Musk and people like that. They like Silicon Valley rich people, but they don't like Wall Street because their formative experiences were, you know, having to, you know, trouble paying back student loans, seeing their parents maybe lose their home or struggle during the financial crisis. Yeah, and so they had a very negative view of Wall Street and they had but they were on Wall Street and they were enriching Wall Street during this whole time. You know, Wall Street loved it. Investment banks were making a lot of money. Firms like Citadel, that uh, Citadel Securities, that that process a lot of these trades were making money hand over fist. It was a great time. Robinhood loved it. And so they didn't like Wall Street, but they were making Wall Street rich. And then a few other things happened to to trigger this crazy episode in early 2021. What is the crisis in layman's terms that happened to the GameStop shares temporarily? And then why is it that what these young traders believe they did didn't hold true in the end? GameStop was like Blockbuster Video was three years before it went out of business. Like it was because games were being digitized and buying and selling games, physical 
cartridges of games was their most lucrative business. They had not made money in years. They kept coming up with new plans. They had kept having new CEOs. Things were not going well at all for GameStop. And so these short sellers, they had bet against companies like Tesla, uh, Nvidia, Nikola, the, gar the hydrogen garbage truck startup. And they had lost a lot of money because these young people, especially, but just generally Wall Street, they love these shiny new things and they would bid them up to absurd valuations. So betting against companies was getting really hard. It was probably the worst year ever for short selling. And short selling, just to explain as a technique, by betting against a stock, the most you can lose when you buy a stock is all your money, right? You could buy a stock and then it can go to zero, go bankrupt. Then you lost all your money, but you didn't lose more than all your money. But a short seller is the opposite from, from you and me because a stock can go up to any level. So their losses are infinite because they don't own the stock. They sell it without owning it. They, they, love, they find somebody who says, I'll lend this to you. And then they sell it. And if the stock goes up a lot, they could lose a lot. And so when share, share prices go up a lot and a lot of short sellers have bet against something, it's called a short squeeze because they all kind of scramble for the exit at the same time. And they're all rushing in and buying, and then they're hurting each other by buying and forcing up the price. It's so sort of a, a vicious circle, <clears throat> but or vicious cycle rather. But in in this case, <clears throat> they had chosen certain stocks, like GameStop and a few others, that were just so out of favor, so dowdy, like BlackBerry that used to be the the smartphone king, and AMC, which was expected to go bankrupt, the, the bankrupt the movie theater chain, and. Bed Bath & Beyond that was being put out of business by Amazon. And they had bet against those. And people on these bulletin boards said, why don't, you know, so much of these shares are sold short. Why don't we target these hedge funds? And they found their names and they knew who they were. They knew what stocks were most vulnerable. And there were some, uh, clearly some people on these bulletin boards who weren't amateurs who said, okay, this is what you do. This is specifically what you have to do to create the maximum pressure on these hedge funds. And they kind of ambush them. And by ambushing them, they forced the price up. And by forcing the price up, these guys had to rush for the exits. And then more people on these bulletin boards piled in and bought more and more and more. And these guys had no exit. You know, if you've borrowed a stock, you have to, to, to buy it back. And if the price is surging, you still have to buy it back. And you're in this one fund, Melvin Capital, lost $6 billion in a few days, $6 billion. And there were other funds that, that had massive losses as well. And there was one activist short seller uh, who I speak with in the book named Andrew Left, who outright taunted them. He said, you guys are the suckers of the poker table. You don't know what short selling is. Let me explain to you. And you know that was not a good move because he, it was like you know waving a, a, a red flag at a bull. And he just set off a stampede. And so you, you had millions of people watching this thing every day. And you had one person in particular, and he, he wasn't the engineer of this by any means, but Roaring Kitty, who turned out to be a, a financial advisor named Keith Gill, who had an online presence, mostly ignored until this episode started, who had made a huge personal bet on GameStop for other reasons. And then every day he would post a screenshot of his E-Trade account, with, not with his name on it, and you could see that he went from you know, having $50,000 to $50 million at one point, and he wasn't selling. And these people couldn't believe it. And so every day that he didn't sell, they didn't sell. 
And the reason they didn't sell was that they were inspired by him, but also because not selling means that you weren't making your stock available to the short sellers to purchase back. Right. So you, were, you were making it more difficult for them. You were, it was like, you know, like setting a theater on fire and then like making sure there was like only one little exit door left open for them to get out of. And they all so these, that exit door. So these young traders temporarily stuck it to the man. There were big, big losses temporarily. It was a David and Goliath story, short term, and then what happened? This gets to the, you know, your your specialty, which is reputation management, is that Robinhood was the the main broker that serviced these guys, and Robinhood basically did too good of a job. Robinhood was all about getting people into uh, stock trading, getting people to trade as much as they could. But so many of Robinhood's customers happened to be the people who were doing this, and they were all buying the same three, four, five stocks, about a dozen in, in, in total, but it was three or four or five stocks that were the, the main quote unquote meme stocks because they would use memes on social media. And brokers have a broker too. So brokers ha have a place where there's a, a clearinghouse where that, that's owned by the government that makes sure that everyone gets paid that the money gets to where it needs to go and the stock need, gets where it needs to go. Because you you might sell a stock and then you see the money in your account, but the money's not really there. The money takes a couple of days to get there. Everything, right. everyone has to get settled up. And this clearinghouse went to Robinhood in the middle of the night, three hours before the market would open on January 28th, 2021, and said, um, listen, we've looked at the, the risk that you, you're open to here. And uh, we need you to put some more collateral into the system so make sure that we all get paid. Because if if you go bust, then every other broker needs to, to cover for you. So can we have $3 billion, please, in three hours? Now, there was no way that they could get $3 billion in three hours. They had never raised a billion dollars in their entire history as a company. And they drew down all their credit lines, but there was no, their credit lines were not that big. Banks were not going to lend them $3 billion. In, in three hours, especially. Uh, they went out and raised a billion dollars later that day uh, because their business was going like gangbusters, right? Their business was good. It's just that they're about to run out of cash. And they went back to the clearinghouse and said, obviously we can't come up with $3 billion. How about we restrict any further trading, any further purchases of these stocks, options or, or shares of these stocks? Then what's our risk? And they came back and said, well, then, then your risk is 700 something million dollars. So they ponied up that amount, barely. They almost went out of business. And they made their customers furious by saying, you can sell, but you can't buy. Because these guys said, we have Wall Street on the ropes. The, the, the membership of, of Wall Street Bets went from uh, just over a million people in the fall to by the end, uh, Wall Street Bets is the subreddit where all this was taking place. Right. To by the end of February, almost ten Four. million people. You know, so it just mushroomed in size. Everyone was, was was watching it. Okay, I was one of those ten million. I wasn't trading it, but I was watching it. Uh, and and so it it became the most exciting show in the world. And a lot of them were in this stock. Many hundreds of thousands of people were in this specific stock, and a, a few million were were playing this one way or the other. And all of a sudden, they couldn't buy the stock. 
So it looked like they had saved the hedge funds because if these guys can't buy the stock, then the hedge funds can kind of you know, escape with their, their hides intact. So it looked like this firm named for Robin Hood, which is supposed to steal from the rich and give to the poor, had, had messed around with them and had, had done them a bad deal. And that, that's, that's not what happened, but they didn't do a very good job of explaining it. And I think that they were really between a, a rock and a hard place. Obviously, the benefit of hindsight, they could have done a much better job of explaining what they did, what they had to do to their, uh, to their clients. They still would have been angry. What is it that they should have said to these Robinhood app users for them in layman's terms in a couple of sentences understand what should have happened? They should have said, we can't continue business, that, you, that, that this, this has gone too far. We're with you, we support you. They never said this is not a move, but they, they should have seen that it would be seen as a bailout to hedge funds. I think people still would have been angry with them, but they should have explained exactly why they had to do it. The problem is that when you're a financial institution and you don't have cash and you're in danger of running out of cash in a few hours, you know, you don't say, by the way, we're almost out of cash. So that's, that's the quandary that they face is they couldn't really incite a panic about their own company and have people not lend them money and not give them money. But at the same time, they, their, their customers felt betrayed and there was an explosion of criticism and, and you had every late like talk show host basically riffing on it. This was, you know, this is three weeks after the Capitol riot and you had, um, you know, Ted Cruz and you had AOC and you had Don Trump Jr. And you had Josh Hawley and you had people across the entire political spectrum agreeing on one thing, which is that Robin Hood had, um, had screwed its, its, uh, its customers over and, Congressional hearings were called, and you know by the time the congressional hearings took place three weeks later, I mean the the air had had cleared somewhat, but they were still the punching bag. And what did they do wrong? What they did wrong was something different. They created the situations for the speculative frenzy, and then it just went too far. That's what they did wrong. They didn't. They they had to do what they did. Is it possible, ironically, with the name Robin Hood, with an app? that would be attractive to young investors who are not of the old paradigm, who are not of the money of the old paradigm, that the business model itself wasn't prepared for what it could be. This vigilante paradigm didn't have the funds to be able to be who they wanted to be. Is that true? Is that part of the subhead of your book? Is that the fleecing of these small investors? I mean, the fleecing is that they were they are encouraged to do this speculative gambling behavior. Yeah, and then they they fleece them a bit too well. And it's not just them, but I mean, it's a whole food chain of of people who make money off of this. Yeah, and they they just did too good of a job. It just was a little bit too successful because they didn't see this concentrated level of a bet. They should have. Let me give you another example. And, and I told someone that I was going to be interviewing you, and. We used this analogy the other day when we went to lunch. So we went to an Upper West Side place that is an average lunch of, for business professionals of uh, $50 to $100 for lunch each person. But on my way, I used to live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, I saw a Gray's papaya. And I said, man, I haven't had one of those hot dogs in years because I moved to Brooklyn. 
So on my way, I bought either a $2.50 or $3 hot dog, one, because I just wanted to have that taste in my mouth of nostalgia of what I missed before I went to spend more money on this lunch. He then said to me, well, what if 2,000 people showed up between 12 and 2 o'clock that wanted that $2.50 to $3 hot dog? There'd be a lot of people pissed off online because they wouldn't have the supply in that freezer to throw that many hot dogs between that period of time, at least, for them to walk back to their office or walk back to their home and finish up their lunch and do what I did. Isn't that a little bit about what happened here? In other words, shouldn't a business, and, and it sounds like an extreme from a crisis perspective in planning to have that kind of money aside and to be like the big boys, if you want to play, and that's what some of the regulators and that's what some of the big boys said at the time as well, and they're still saying now, even in summary of your book, which is be careful what you ask for. If you want to play with the big boys, you better be prepared. You better have that money aside. You better be prepared to be a clearinghouse like that. You better be. You better educate your users that this is really what it's about in the end. If in small amounts of money, hundreds of thousands to millions of you decide to do something, and then you got to clear within a couple of days, I'm going to come back to you within a few hours and say, are you going to have some of that money aside for us to be able to do that? Congratulations, your app is working. Pay up and be ready to be us, Wall Street. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And in the in the congressional hearings uh, that occurred three weeks to the day after these events, the, the day that they, they restricted trading, Vlad Tenev, who's the CEO of Robinhood, was, he, he was asked the most questions. He was just raked over the coals. And asked about it, he said, well, it was a black swan event. It was, uh, we calculate that it was a one in 3.5 million event. I don't know how we arrived at that calculation. I, I can't understand how he did, but black swan event is something that you can't anticipate. This is something you can anticipate. So right. it's not a black swan. By definition, that's not what it is. This exact situation probably won't happen again. How so? I'm a crisis guy. Prove to me, thinking worst case scenario, that there might not be, and someone might seek to set up the exact same situation hour by hour with a little bit more sophistication with a goal of doing exactly what happened. So what are the, what are the odds and what are the chances of that happening? Well, not might, did, have done. I mean, in the last uh, year since these events took place, they have tried again and again and again. So you then, and they've gone into wacko conspiracy land by saying, you know, like when people, they predict the world is going to end and then, right. you know, and then it doesn't end. And then the next day, people still stick with the group that predicted the world is going to end. Well, that's that's kind of it. I mean, they, they were saying we're going to create the mother of all short squeezes. We're going to do this. And if you buy this and you buy that. And so you've had a lot of these 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 people who originally took part in this have tried to do it several more times with different stocks with very limited success because they throw a lot of money against the wall and they do move the stock. Of course, a bunch of people come in and buy a stock. It goes up, but it doesn't stay up. And they've tried to do it and to squeeze these hedge funds. These hedge funds are not dumb. They're, you know, they're 85% of they're them. Sophisticated. They, they fought, they're sophisticated. Of course, they're, you know, they're, 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 they have software that reads these forums faster than a person can read it and interprets it and is natural language processing 
and tells them what's going on. And they have interns who look at these things. They're, they're ready for it the next time. And not only that, but these firms on Wall Street that made money the first time around, they're making a lot of money from all this, this trading activity, all this option buying and all this stock buying. So they're trying and they're, they're chewing up a lot of their money trying to make lightning strike twice. The next crisis that happens will be something crazy too. Just it's not going to be this. You can't engineer the same thing again. They, it was a surprise the first time. It won't, you know, it'll be something. So different. two final questions. What do you believe the next crisis will be in this vein? You know, I, I think be, because a lot of this activity has morphed from traditional securities where there are a lot of checks and balances. I mean, the system worked. It, it, it buckled, but it didn't break to cryptocurrencies and NFTs and things like that. It's a lot of the same people and the same ethos. So I, I can see that the, the controls being much weaker there, where it's not really a securities market and people being enraged. And it already has happened, you know, from time to time where like people have had their Bitcoin stolen and stuff like that. So I see some larger kind of crisis involving these new things that aren't really securities, but are very popular with young people. Final question. You said you have sons around that age. So let's pretend you're talking to your sons over dinner and they say, Dad, a lot of information. Give me three rules learned from this debacle or correction, however you want to look at it, as your son or sons for the future, because as you know, I have a Robin Hood app, Dad, and I just want to do it the right way. You did a lot of research. What are the top three rules from your book and from me as your son in dealing with this situation? Okay. My first lesson would be that when you're dealing with anybody, whether it's Wall Street or somewhere else, people who get paid on the back end are generally more reliable than people who get paid on the front end. You know, Robin Hood, a broker, they get paid on the front end. They don't care what happens after that. There's a like there there are robo advisors out there who will manage your money. They'll take a, a small cut every year for managing it, for balancing it, for being very prudent with your money. There's a one of the leading robo advisors out there. They have been in the business 13 years at the point that this story happens. The one of the original ones, you know, the one that you, you would have heard of. And Robinhood got as many customers in one day, in one day is they got in their entire history as a company. So it's, it's wow. hard to sell those kinds of services that like get, get rich slowly, but, but those people are generally more reliable to, to deal with. Second thing I would say is you can be a free rider. You know, you can, you can be the guy who pays off his credit card every month and you get all these rewards and you get this convenient thing and you, know, you don't have to pay buy the insurance when you rent a car. And you know who's paying for that? The people who carry balances and are not that wise. So. You know, you can be the guy who joins the gym and then goes every day instead of sort of going four times a year and buy. Right. Right. And you be the guy who, you know, they're, they're not making money off of you. They're making money off those people who never show up but still pay. And you can do that on Wall Street because you can buy. There's such cheap funds these days. You know, you can you can be in there. You can have a Robinhood account. Robinhood is fine. You know, you can go in there and buy a bunch of ETFs or stocks and not look at it. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to be active you'll do much better in the long run. It's been proven that the less often you transact, the better you're going to do. And the third thing I would say to them is that, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it always rhymes. You know, it's fear and greed and bitterness that comes after when people lose money, just repeats itself again and again and again. In that sense, this story is a lot, a lot like a lot of other stories that I've, I've experienced and read about in the history books. 
markets are all, always in the same. You can read something that was written in the, the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s, back to the dawn of financial markets. And you're like, wow, that sounds like it could have been written yesterday because human nature doesn't change. The names of the stocks or whatever they're trading change, but human nature is human nature. And we're just not wired to be uh, very good at investing. The less, less involved you are and the more passive you are, the better you do. That's why. Spencer, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing your book, The Revolution That Wasn't, GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors. And thank you also for your column that you have heard on the street from the Wall Street Journal. We really appreciate your time and would like to keep in touch with you. Thank you so much for having me. Go out and buy the book. And this week's T-shirt of the week is Black Wall Street, 1921, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now listen, if you've never heard of Black Wall Street and its establishment in Tulsa, Oklahoma from 1921, you got to go to Google right now and learn what is Black Wall Street? It wasn't trading. It was black wealth that was in a particular small city and town. That is an example to the world of what society should have been not only then, but now. Google Black Wall Street. Thanks. So my RepDoc opinion of this book called The Revolution That Wasn't GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors is that Spencer Jacob does a terrific job of summarizing exactly what the challenge, the crisis, and the new paradigm is, which is the magic of technology by being able to understand and trade on Wall Street with the same tools as the experts, but the one warning I give anyone that's utilizing it, similar to why there was a crisis in the first place, if you don't understand Wall Street beyond the app, if you simply just know how to put in how much money you want to trade and press a button, you don't know enough about Wall Street to even use the app. Understand much more about the financial systems and the way they work and the checks and balances that are there before utilizing even your first trade. That's my lesson. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Reputations in Crisis with Mike Paul, the Rep Doc. And remember, less head work, more heart work, peace. And please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Have a terrific week. We'll see you soon.